0: Uh, This is Psalm 131. It's a song of the sense of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Um, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you meet with us. And we ask now that you would um, help us to make sense of your word together, that we would um, understand it and learn to pray it uh, together. Um, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't notice those typos until I was just reading it. It's not that hits my mother. It's um, child with his mother. Different things. Um, so this semester with RF we have been reading the Songs of Ascent together, the Psalms of Ascent. And these are Psalms 120 through 134. And they are 15 psalms within the larger book of psalms, which is 150 psalms. It's a, it's a little book within a book that was written to Israel as they made this three times a year journey from their homes to jerusalem so they would go for the festivals they go for the feast of booths or tabernacles for the feast of pentecost and for um, the feast of passover and as they traveled together up to jerusalem they actually prayed these prayers and so these were written for them that they might see their life as a journey and that they might learn to pray their lives together to god Um, and we're we're reading Psalm 131 this week. Last week, Dave Latham preached from Psalm 130, um, which is the psalm of repentance. Understanding that to enter God's presence, um, we need to be cleansed of our sin. That on our own, we don't have, um, we can't get ourselves clean enough to be with God. But God always, and this is the testimony of the Bible, again and again tells us that he is the one who cleans us. He is the one who comes to us so that we might be restored to him. Um, and this comes to us uh, most fully and clearly in Jesus. It's a gift of grace that comes to us by faith alone. And so Psalm 131 is on the other side of repentance. It's, and in it, it acknowledges this relationship between our hearts and our eyes and our soul. That when our hearts and our eyes are healthy, our soul is healthy. But when our hearts and our eyes are occupied with things other than God, our soul is turbulent. It's the opposite of calm and quiet. So um, top five shows on Netflix. I'm arguing the number one best show on Netflix. This is a bold claim, I know. Friday Night Lights. Have you all seen Friday Night Lights? Okay. So definitely, arguably top five. I'm arguing number one. Um, So if you've seen it, you know from the first episode, Coach Taylor, his mantra to his team is clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And that is a timeless truth that is actually here in Psalm 131, that our eyes and our hearts are connected to our soul. Um, Today I was reading uh, on ESPN and online. I read this article. Maybe you've seen it. It's an old article, uh, a couple years old, a story of a woman named Madison Holloran. Um, And I'm going to read this to you from... from ESPN Magazine. On the morning of January 17, 2014, uh, Madison Hallison woke up in her dorm room at UPenn. She went to class. She took a test. She told a few friends she would meet them later that night at the dining hall. She went to the Penn bookstore, bought gifts for her family. While she's there, her dad called. He asked, Maddie, have you found a therapist yet? And she said, no, but don't worry, Daddy, I'll be fine. Um, But she had no intention of finding one. In fact, she was at that exact moment buying the items that she would leave for her family at the top of a parking garage. Godiva chocolates for her dad, two necklaces for her mom, ginger snaps for her grandparents, outfits for her nephew, Hayes, who had been born two weeks earlier, a book for her friend, Ingrid. Um, And then on the evening of January 17th, just after dusk, uh, she took her own life. She jumped off of the parking deck um, in downtown Philly. She was 19 years old. And in the days after she died, Madison's friends gathered together, her friends and family gathered together, trying to piece her back together, asking the question, what happened? Like, why did she take her own life? All right, she was a beautiful, talented, successful girl. She was, the article says she was the epitome of what a young girl is supposed to hope she becomes. But she's also a perfectionist who struggled deeply um, when she performed poorly. And the life that this article focuses in on her Instagram account. And it says that the life that she projected on her own Instagram feed was filled with shots that seemed to confirm everyone's expectations. Of course she was loving her first year of college. Of course she was enjoying running. She was on the track team at Penn. But as we all know, everyone presents an edited version of themselves online. Right? Most of us only share the moments that reflect our ideal selves, our ideal life. Um, and the ESPN article zooms in on madison 's Instagram account and what she was tr- what she was trying to accomplish through social media and as humans we have been projecting this ideal this idealized self since the fall since our first parents, Adam and Eve sinned and hid from God, projecting this idealized self rather than acknowledging the reality of the guilt and shame and fear that we all feel um, hundreds of years ago. Uh, We sent letters by horseback, only containing what we wanted the recipients to read. And then 50 years ago, we would talk on the phone and only share the information that we wanted other people uh, to know. And now, with Instagram, only one thing has changed. The amount that we consume of one another's edited lives. The amount that we consume of one another's edited lives. I mean, think about your own social media usage. When do you check Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat? Um, Is it when you wake up? When you're waiting in line for food, when you're sitting in class, when you're watching TV, maybe right now you're checking it um, before you go to bed. Right? Think about how about how much time we spent we spend absorbing other people's filtered images. All the while, we walk through our own unfiltered life. See, checking Instagram is like opening a magazine to see a fashion ad. Except an ad tells you that it's an ad, right? It's, it's obviously staged, it's glossy, but Instagram is passed off as real life. Like, we think that it's real life when really we know that it's, it's well edited and cropped and, and framed. And so what does this do to us? Well, we begin to think that everyone else's lives are perfect and that our own lives fail to measure up. So we begin to post only the good stuff. Only the stuff that gets a lot of approval, a lot of likes... Because we long for approval, right? We long for perfection. And we create this paradox in our social media accounts where we project a life that we long for while we suffer silently. And um, in the case of this young woman at UPenn, no image captured the paradox more than the one she posted just an hour before she took her life. It was a picture of holiday lights twinkling in the trees of Rittenhouse Square, and she put a filter on the image that produced this ethereal quality, almost as if the night was underwater. Um, And the ESPN article says that she seemed acutely aware that the life she was curating online was distinctly different from the one she was actually living. Yet she could not apply that same logic when she looked at the projected lives of others. She and her friend Ashley followed a group of Penn upperclassmen on Instagram, and Ashley remembers that they would scroll through pictures together and say to each other, this is what college is supposed to be like. This is what we want our lives to be like. Do you ever feel this? This is what college is supposed to be like, looking at other people's pictures. This is what my life is supposed to be like. I've felt this. I feel this. Um, And it reveals that there's this deep connection between what we see, what we love, and how we feel. This connection between our eyes and our hearts and our soul. Look at verse 1 in Psalm 131. When our eyes are focused, when they're raised too high, when they're focused on what life is supposed to be like, then our hearts are lifted up too high. We're desiring this perfect, idealized life that doesn't exist. And we get stuck in this loop. We get occupied. We can't help but check our feed or look at that website or think about what others are wearing or worry about what others think of us, or slave away in the library for that A. And the result of this cycle is it creates this turbulence in our soul, like a raging ocean beneath the surface. And then rather than um, breaking this cycle, we re-engage with it over and over again, hoping that things will change, right? We long to quiet our souls, to calm our souls, to get them to shut up. But instead they rage and shout all the louder. And all of us know this cycle. We've all experienced our eyes being raised too high, our hearts being lifted up, occupied with a perfection that's unattainable. And the result is this turbulence in our souls. Um, there's a great example of this in Portlandia, the comedy show, um, where the two characters are talking and one of them says, everyone on the Internet, they're not having as great of a time as you think, the, uh, that you think they are. And the other one replies, I guess everyone else is just, I guess everyone's just cropping out the sadness, right? That's what we're doing. We're just cropping out the sadness. And um, personally, I can't handle Instagram. Like, I don't have the character to actually handle Instagram. I had to take it off of my phone. Um, and so I get decoded to post the RUF post uh, pictures because I don't have it on my phone. And I, when I want to look at it, I look at Mary Clark's Instagram. Um, but I try over and over again to use it, but it continues to do this to me. Like, I see a picture of my friend's hunting dog with a, with a duck in his mouth, and all I can think about is my overweight corgi who doesn't know how to play catch, right? Um, I see a picture of somebody's awesome night out, and I compare it to my night in and our disposable income being spent on diapers. Um, I see a vacation or a beautiful sunset or friends skiing, and I think, you know, why isn't my life like that? I just can't, I can't handle Instagram. So I, I had to shut it out because I get caught so quickly in this cycle and it makes my soul this noisy mess of turbulent ocean. Anything but calmed and quieted. And yet, Psalm 131 recounts the exact opposite experience, right? I mean, look at this. Uh, David writes to God that his heart is not lifted up that his eyes are not raised too high, that he is not occupied with things too great and too marvelous for him. How? How does he do this? Well, Psalm 131 says that um, calming and quieting our soul comes through weaning. What is weaning? Um, Weaning is a funny word, and it's the process of turning a child... um, from their baby food, from breast milk or from formula, to solid food. It begins with the first time you feed a baby something other than milk, and it ends when that baby grows up and learns how to cook for themselves. Um, it's a simple process. Uh, when Mary Clark and I were, were weaning, our children involved taking solid foods, like fruits and vegetables, putting them in a blender, and then feeding them to our babies who would then drop them on the floor, thus making our corgi overweight. Um, um, but eventually now our kids are eating real food. It's a simple process, replacing one food with another. And it changes the relationship between a child and a mother. Think about your relationship with your mom today. Are you weaned? I sure hope so. Um, And as I've been reflecting on this passage, I see that now my relationship with my mom is loving and dynamic. She's not just a vending machine for food and clothes. Um, She's a woman who I love and respect deeply. And in this psalm, David is saying that in the same way as a child is weaned from her mother, their relationship changes. So when we are spiritually weaned, our souls learn to grow calm and quiet. The Lord, who was our spiritual vending machine, becomes the friend of our souls. The turbulence we experienced is replaced by calm. The noise is replaced by quiet. And weaned is repeated twice in this psalm. Um, And when something's repeated in the Bible, um, what the author is doing is he's drawing your attention to it. Um, he's saying that this is it. This is the answer to your turbulence. It's weaning your soul. So how? How do we do this? Well, when we occupy our eyes and our hearts with things that are too great for ourselves, um, we're creating these, standard of, these standards of per- perfection that we hope to reach. Right? We internalize outside standards. Right? Your mother's voice becomes the voice in your head. And then these self-made standards become impossible for us to attain. Um, I knew a a guy named Daniel when he was in high school. Um, He was raised by his aunt in New York City. When he was in middle school and high school, his aunt told him, if you don't get A's, I won't love you. And that was how she motivated him. And so this, as you can imagine, crushed him. He internalized the standard. And academic success became his metric for how he was going to calm and quiet his soul. Um, He had to get A's. Or he would lose the love of his aunt. Um, he would lose everything. So I spent two weeks with him one summer at a, a Christian summer, um, summer camp. And um, one morning, through tears and trembling, he told me his story. And the beautiful thing I saw in his life was that as he learned the gospel, as he heard the gospel, um, the words of his aunt began to lose the power Uh, That They had and he began to have the courage and he did have the courage to tell his aunt what she was doing to him And when they had this conversation, she said to him. Um, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it I just thought that's how you motivate your children to succeed um And the only way that he was able to confront in love confront in love to confront his aunt And to be freed from the turbulence he was having um, Was to have his soul calmed and quieted somewhere else the only way he was able to break out of this cycle of his heart and his eyes being occupied with false visions of perfection was to know the true perfection that is seen in jesus now here's the thing you and i we were made for perfection we long for it right because we were made for it but the visions of perfection that we settle for pale in comparison to true perfection and the way that God heals our souls is that He weans us from the things that are too great and marvelous for us, and He replaces them with Himself. God says to you stop looking at these false visions of perfection. Stop occupying yourself with these and look at Jesus. See His uninstagrammed perfection. See that He was perfect in character and He was perfect in love. Um, Jesus was perfect. The Bible says that he was tempted as we are, but he was without sin. Matthew 4, um, the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel, tells a story of Jesus that after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness and he uh, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then um, the devil, Satan, came to him and tempts him. And he tempts him three times. And um, Satan comes to him and he says, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become become loaves of bread. Because Jesus is so hungry. And Jesus responds to him. He says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written that God will command his angels concerning you, and he will bear you up. Satan uses God's word to tempt Jesus. And then Jesus responds again, He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, Satan takes Jesus to this very high mountain and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to him, if you worship me, I will give you all of these. And Jesus responds, "Begone, Satan, for it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Do you all hear that? That Jesus was tempted um, to lift his heart and his eyes to, on everything that the world offers. And instead, he calms and he quiets his soul, and he resists Satan's temptation. And then Jesus' whole life is filled with him teaching the truth about God him healing people's um, illnesses and forgiving their sins. You know, this is the real standard of perfection. And then in Hebrews 4, we're told uh, that Jesus is a high priest who is unable, who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every respect as as we have. He's been tempted in every way that we have, and yet he is without sin. And in his final hours, as Jesus was hung up to die on the cross, he was given every opportunity to get down, to pick up his life and to cling to it rather than to lay it down. People pass by wagging their heads at him, and they're saying, save yourself. If you are the son of God, get yourself down from there. But he didn't. This is perfection. This is the standard of perfection. True beauty. True perfection is living a holy life to God and laying it down in love for the sake of others. And he did this for you. Romans 5 says that God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were designed to set your hearts and your eyes on God alone, to be caught up in his greatness and beauty. And setting your eyes and hearts anywhere else is sin, and it leads to a turbulent soul. Listen to Romans 5 again. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your soul. He knows the things that occupy you. And he knows the turbulence within your soul. And he loves you. The perfection of Jesus isn't a perfection that looks down on you. It isn't airbrushed to make you wish that you were better. But it's a perfection that was sacrificed for you. Jesus is perfect for you and his perfection can be summed up in one word. It's grace. The gospel of grace says to you that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more and that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. You are never too bad to be outside of the reach of God's grace and you're never too good to outgrow the need for his grace. You can't outsend his grace. You can't outperform his grace. So let me ask you, let this psalm search you where in your heart, where are your eyes occupied? That causes you turbulence. Name it and give it to Jesus and receive from him the calm and quiet rest that is yours in the gospel. And that's where our psalm ends. That true perfection, true love, all the things that you long for are provided in the Lord. Look at verse three. God in His grace gives and gives and gives and gives and gives so that you might hope in Him. So, what does it look like for us to pray this psalm honestly? Well, first, it means that because of the grace of God in Jesus, we are able to be honest with ourselves about the places where we set our hearts and our eyes that are not God. It means that because of Jesus' grace, Um, We confess those things in prayer to one another and to God. It means that because of Jesus' grace, we receive from him strength by his Holy Spirit to calm and quiet our souls. And it means that because of God's grace, we are able to hope in the Lord and live lives that are beautiful and not filled with the turbulence of sin. Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for this psalm, and we uh, confess to you now that um, our hearts are turbulent. Um, Our souls are turbulent. Our hearts are lifted up, and our our eyes look at things that are too great for us, and we ask for your help. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you that you come to us in grace uh, to restore us to yourselves. We pray that you would do that now. In your name we pray. Amen.